0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Savage Files. I'm your host, Jade Savage, and I'm so glad to be back. Listen, this is my third time trying to record this episode the first time it was fully recorded and ready to post and then bigger stuff happened so i thought let me go ahead and add that in the second time i recorded the podcast episode i had to take an exam and the guy made me delete it because i had to close out of my app and i didn't have it saved like a moron so here we are on attempt number three and this one will be successful I cannot say thank you enough for continuing to support me even though I went on a little bit of a hiatus. I am back and I'm so excited to be back. I had a lot of life changes that I'm not going to get into on this podcast. Um, I'm sure I'll talk about that more on TikTok and other social media platforms but I really do apologize for the delay and thank you so much to everybody who supports me. I love you guys. I don't know you're like my best friends. I don't know what I'd do without you enough about me let's get right into this podcast episode so we're gonna go ahead and jump right into talking about idaho 4 and giving you guys some updates on that and also explaining some of the hoopla going on in the media i want to start with the biggest bomb that we've had dropped on us lately that has to do with bethany funk a quick recap Dylan, Mortensen, and Bethany Funk were the two surviving roommates inside of the Idaho 4 house the night that Kaylee, Maddie, Xana, and Ethan were brutally murdered. Since the incident occurred, all eyes have been on Dylan, especially after the probable cause affidavit came out and dropped a bomb that Dylan came face-to-face with the intruder on the night of November 13th. Bethany has really laid low and we haven't gotten a ton of information on what Bethany knows, what Bethany saw, or or anything of the sort. And that all changed when a few days ago, we learned that Bethany Funk is being subpoenaed to testify in the preliminary hearing being held on June 26th. My immediate reaction was, is it the prosecution or the defense who's trying to get Bethany to testify? Because in a preliminary hearing, we don't really get witnesses, maybe an officer or a detective, but we don't usually see key witnesses such as a witness who was inside of the residence when the incident occurred testifying at a preliminary hearing. My second thought was, this is big. Because you don't have key witnesses testifying at a preliminary hearing. I don't know if it's the prosecution or the defense at this point, but all I'm thinking is clearly Bethany holds something that's either going to throw the book at Brian Kohlberger or it's going to exonerate Brian Kohlberger. So naturally, a couple of days go by and we learn it's the defense that has subpoenaed Bethany to testify at the preliminary hearing. Naturally, a couple of days did go by and we learned it was the defense that submitted the subpoena for Bethany. And let me tell you, the media ran with this. They they did Bethany really dirty. They spewed headlines that said Bethany Fung to testify on behalf of Brian Kohlberger. And then Bethany responded to the subpoena and she said, yeah, no, I'm not going to Idaho. I'm not going to testify and I'm not going to look this man in the eye. And then it was even worse because it was like she, she said, no, I don't want to testify for this man. But people interpret it as I don't want to testify to help my friends. The media just really turned it into this story that made it seem as though Bethany didn't want to testify to help her friends to get justice for her roommates that were brutally murdered, to get justice for Kaylee, Maddie, Zanna, or Ethan. But that wasn't the case. She was saying, I already know I have to testify at a trial and I have to face this man, which will be hard enough. I don't want to have to do it at a preliminary hearing too. But Kohlberger's team believes that Bethany holds the key to getting him exonerated. They said that something Bethany heard or saw is key to getting Brian Kohlberger off. And so they need her to testify at the preliminary hearing so that this doesn't go to a trial. So, of course, they came to an agreement where Bethany said she will speak with Brian Kohlberger's defense team, but they have to go to Reno, Nevada, where she is living currently, and they have to do the interview there and she will have an attorney present and she will answer their questions. But this does not mean that she's testifying on behalf of Koberger. she's testifying for Kohlberger, or helping get his charges dropped
1: new updates in the Idaho College student murders case, one of the surviving roommates has now agreed to an interview with Brian Koberger's defense team after fighting to stay out of the proceedings. 21-year-old Bethany Funk lived in the same off-campus home where Madison Mogan, Zana Karnoto, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Ethan Chapin were all brutally stabbed to death in November. This week, we learned that the surviving roommate will meet with lawyers from suspect Brian Koberger's defense team at her home in Reno, Nevada. According to court documents, Funk's lawyers initially argued against their client testifying at the June preliminary hearing or even during a trial. But in new filings on Wednesday, both sides have agreed to the defense's interview in order to dismiss Funk's subpoena. Depending on the information that Funk gives investigators, she could ultimately skip out of that preliminary
0: hearing. In this situation, Bethany is sitting down with Brian Kohlberger's defense team, not because she wants to, but because she has to. This gets her out of having to see him face-to-face, but when and if there is a jury trial, Bethany will have to testify as a key witness regardless. I've been seeing a lot of people talk about why they believe Bethany Funk doesn't want to testify at the preliminary hearing. And one of the reasons I'm hearing is because they think or believe is because Bethany's testimony is going to directly contradict Dylan's testimony and what was in the probable cause affidavit. I'm sorry, let me correct myself. Not Dylan's testimony, but the statement she made following the incident. Okay, maybe this is a hot take. No, this is a hot take. I'm just forewarning you, don't be triggered by what I'm about to say here. First of all, I don't believe that Bethany's statement is going to be completely contradicting to Dylan's. Clearly, the defense believes that Bethany has information that's going to exonerate BK. However, if Bethany's statement completely contradicts Dylan's and there is proof that BK did not commit this murder, that means that this man is innocent and deserves to be set free do i want that no do i think he did it yes does he give me the heebie-jeebies absolutely but unfortunately that is the court of law is if this man did not commit this crime then he should not go away for it and i feel like people lose sight because they get in the mob mentality of the actual facts of the case and if bethany's statement actually proves that that brian kohlberger was not at the scene of the crime or that he didn't commit this crime then that means that he is innocent Again, just another quick PSA. I am not a Brian Kohlberger supporter. I just want to make that so clear. I'm not sure if the Kohlberger preliminary hearing is going to be televised or not, which will be very, very interesting because I want to know if we're going to hear what Bethany had to say at the preliminary. I imagine that we would if it was televised because that's the whole point of her doing this interview is so they can use it in court. So it's going to be very interesting to see what it is that Bethany had to say so last thursday i was on live i was like i'm gonna go on live and say hi to my friends and all hell broke loose in idaho i went on and everybody's like did you see the documents did you see the video and i was like what's going on it was crazy um so let's recap a little bit so starting off news nation obtained body cam footage of brian kohlberger being pulled over a month before the murders occurred and he got stopped for running a red light which is so on just so on brand for brian kohlberger and then they also obtained body cam footage from the night they raided his apartment in Washington. For anybody listening to the audio version of this, I'm still going to play the body cam footage of the traffic stop, but if you want to see the visual version, I am going to put it up on the YouTube version for you.
2: Hello, I am Officer, Officer Loengus. stops being audio and video recorded. I think, I, know, I think you know why I stopped you. You ran the red light. What actually happened was I
1: was stuck in the middle of the intersection. Yeah, So I was, I was behind you the election. whole time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, technically, you're not supposed to enter the intersection at all for that reason, because if the light turns red, then you're stuck in the intersection, then you run the red light. So, that's the reason I stopped you. Do you have your license on you? Do you have the registration and insurance?
1: Let me just get this for you out. you what? I'm just going to get this out for you. Okay. So, can you, would you explain that to me a little bit further? So, in Pennsylvania, when you're stuck Mm section you have to make the left so what would what would the appropriate thing for me to have done just just
2: you're not supposed to block an intersection like that in washington so So just by you blocking the intersection that's technically a ticketable violation and then thus then you're running a red light so it's another ticketable offense so you're not supposed to proceed into the intersection until you can go because a lot of people do what you just did right is like you're sitting in the intersection waiting and then turns you're blocking so
1: yeah there was a little bit of confusion with speeding because someone had stopped I wasn't sure what they were doing and then they put on their light to turn mm-hmm. so I thought that maybe they were letting me go through oh did you see that
2: no Mm-mm.
1: I feel like right before I made the turn there was someone who yeah, so made a right they didn't have their you know their signal on so I wasn't sure if they were just waiting
2: mm-hmm. yeah so I would just advise uh, just don't enter to the intersection until you can go, so you don't get stuck. Um, let's see.
1: But in that situation, the best thing to do then would be back up. Not,
2: I don't know if there's a best thing I, to I, I, do in that situation, because you're either going to back up into somebody, yeah. or you're going to run a red light. So, Or you're going to be sitting in an intersection. Yeah. There's not really a great option there.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just slightly into the crosswalk, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, where I'm from Pennsylvania we actually mm-hmm. don't have like crosswalks oh so even if you're if you're kind of slightly yeah there's a little bit more leeway as well like there are a few lines like there's one white line and there's another one in mm-hmm. front. Like, there's like a like a certain yeah margin from which you can actually kind of put your vehicle place your vehicle
2: mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah so I know laws vary state to state but there is a law yeah. in Washington for blocking an intersection like that proceeding through and yeah. you don't um when you're just stalling. I forget the actual verbiage, I can find it for you, but it's like stalling, blocking an intersection. I'm just curious about Uh the law. I don't mean to... Oh no, yeah, Yeah, I can find it for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: One second. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there because he just continues to berate this officer and say, well, can you show me where it says that? Can you show me where it says that? She goes back to her squad car, sits in there, and has to look up the actual statue and take it back to his car and show him where it says that. I feel as though this interaction between Brian Kohlberger and this police officer is just so telling about Brian Kohlberger's character and the type of person that he is now it's a short video clip but to me he comes across condescending he seems as though he needs to be right um and just argumentative this officer is telling you what the law is and you made her actually go look up the statute and bring it back to your vehicle and show you where it says verbatim what she just said you would think an officer of the law would know the law so I just to me, it speaks volumes about the type of person that he is, that he would sit there and argue with this officer and berate her and make it seem as though she doesn't know what she's talking about. Let me know how you guys feel about this interaction, because to me, it sounds as though he has a bit of entitlement. He sounds like he knows everything. He's the biggest, fastest, strongest in the room. And that's pretty much what everybody has said, is that he's always always the guy to correct everybody, the, the guy that always has to be right, the guy who always has the answers. So this is not surprising. He sounds just like I expected him to, and it, just his mannerisms as well next we have the body cam footage from when the police went to raid brian kohlberger's apartment in washington and it's very brief they redacted most of the video and most of the audio but we can see a little bit of it so i'm going to play some of that for you
1: Search warrant, come to the door. Good. One more. Police department, search warrant, come to the door. Open the door and do an announcement. For the building, police
0: department, show yourself. You're good, dude. Go back inside. Oh. Yep. No. Flashlight. Flashlight. That's pretty much all they really gave us, but they did give us one additional little clip. It's short and it's brief, but they say something in it that I really want to talk about.
1: ...about when they were in the apartment, one of the doors inside the apartment is locked. Can you guess which one? Let's roll the tape so you can hear it for yourself.
2: Talbot, the, door's, the bedroom door is locked. You want to it? Yeah. you need
1: anything in your clipboard? No, I'm or- good. Okay. Okay. He's got it. Thank you guys. Just the one locked door? Yeah. yeah and we didn't boot it because the keys actually worked. What? Oh, sweet. Oh, um, better. Sweet. It's locked because there's only one on door. I'll talk later. Yeah. I'm just going to do a quick walkthrough through, see what you can see. Are there lights on in there? Uh, there are some. Yeah. And we can turn them all on. Very sparse. Fancy computer. Really? Good. Yes. Materi's gonna
2: be all over that. So it, he was it. told he could do a we triage here. here. Yeah. And then once we package,
1: he can't do anything until we get a warrant night of the Correct. So but so he can triage it while we're still here. Yeah.
0: Some of it was kind of hard to hear, but the one thing to focus on is that officers said that when they went into the apartment, there was one bedroom door that was locked with a lock on it. And they were going to boot the door, but they had a key and the key worked and it unlocked the bedroom so they were able to get in. Some of you were with me when we watched this live on News Nation on Banfield as it was unraveling. And of course, our first thought is why would he be locking a bedroom door? He knows he's leaving to go cross country to Pennsylvania and he locks his bedroom door. This is very suspicious. So we're trying to make sense of the situation. We're saying maybe someone's going to come check on his pet and they don't want him going in his bedroom because that's reasonable. But he doesn't have a pet. Some people are saying, you know, maybe his friend is coming to check on the apartment. And he doesn't want him in the bedroom. Like we're just trying to make sense of the situation. Of course, it's Brian Koberger, so we're already suspicious. And of course, it's Banfield, so she's going to play on those suspicions. It, no shocker there. So, not to my surprise, when you read the 166-page document that came out the police released, which essentially is the search warrant and all of the things that they seized in Brian Koberger's apartment in Washington, I am not surprised to see this in the documents the officer says in this apartment there are two bedrooms and only one subject on the lease it is for this reason i believe that there is no one residing in the room and has not been accessed by the resident of the apartment i also observed the room appeared to have been vacuumed cleaned and not occupied i advised the crime scene text of this and we exited the apartment we also noticed while clearing the apartment it was sparsely furnished and fairly empty of belongings including no shower curtain in the bathroom and the trash cans appeared empty This is a perfect example of why it's so important that when we have the facts, we read through them. We read through the documentation because these media outlets, they thrive. Their business thrives on clicks and clickbait and the wow factor. And so they want to make everything seem so big. So in this instance, Banfield does this whole segment and makes it seem like, oh my gosh, Brian Kohlberger had a second bedroom in his home and it was locked. And that's so suspicious. And he's so suspicious and he's so guilty. And everybody's like, and then you read through the documentation and the police are saying yeah there was a second bedroom but it's student housing he had one room the other bedroom was for another student that wasn't brian Koberger. he lived alone but did not have access to the room it was not his to enter we also learned from the 166 page document that brian Koberger also had a storage closet on the same property as his apartment the document says that while they were searching the apartment they found a padlock The document reads, we found a padlocked round in shape in the living room closet. Based on my training and experience, I recognize the padlock to be in the shape of locks typically used for storage units. The lock is round in shape and the design limits the ability for it to be cut off. A key matching the lock was also found in the living room in the TV stand next to the keys which appear to be for the Wilson Short office. I had Officer Kirshner contact the apartment coordinator who confirmed that there are storage closets available to residents located in the same building as the laundry areas. The sergeant went to the area and confirmed there was a storage closet with the address G201 written in black marker on the wood door. The storage closet is located in Building F of the Steeptoe Apartments. The storage door is not locked and the door is slightly ajar. I believe the storage was likely used by Kohlberger to store items and was likely accessed between the time of the murders and his travel to Pennsylvania. It is also believed the storage closet could contain trace evidence listed in number one and number five of evidence to be seized. Again, this one page made headlines. Everybody's saying BK had a storage unit. They believe that there's traces of evidence in there. There's blood, there's hair, there's things that we're going to locate that's going to pin this murder on Brian and he's going to be convicted. Unfortunately, when you get to page 154 in the 166 page document, this is what it says. Based on this information, I contacted Judge Libby and applied to have the search warrant amended to include the storage unit to search for possible trace evidence and possible DNA evidence. When the search of the apartment was complete, we went to the storage closet. There were two cobwebs going into the storage closet and the floor was dusty. It did not appear the closet had been used recently and nothing was seized or collected from the closet. So everything that felt kind of like a gotcha moment in the headlines about the second bedroom that had a lock on it and the storage unit that might have evidence in it turned out to be dead ends and just really when it comes down to it they they were just clickbait and if you guys want me to do an in-depth breakdown of the 166 page document we don't have to go page by page or I can and we can break it up into parts you guys let me know because there's some really interesting stuff in this document. The last thing that i am going to briefly touch on with this 166 page document is a long list of items that were seized that they're going to test for blood now we got a few of these items released prior that i talked about in a different podcast episode which included receipts to marshalls walmart there was a pair of dickie's pants a glove there was the dust container in a vacuum Um, but there were a couple of new ones that were released with this 166 page document that i thought were interesting The new list consisted of a curtain rod in the shower, Um, it said there's a reddish brown stain on it, and then they did blind swabs of the east sink, the west sink, the shower drains, and the bathroom. Uh, There was a tiny red stain on the edge of a doorknob, top left computer pad, top left side of the computer pad, and a reddish brown stain on an uncased pillow. It's going to be very interesting to see what those results come back with. There were a couple more items that were listed that were a little bit harder to read, but it'll be really interesting to see what comes back, um, if any of those come back with any type of blood from the victim's hairs. We also do know, which I haven't talked about on the podcast, so I'm going to talk about really quickly. We do know that they seized ids from brian kohlberger's glove box but we didn't know what ids they were and there were reports of a close source saying that one of the ids belonged to one of the victims i don't know if there was multiple ids but the ids are allegedly supposed to be one of the victims one or more of the victims i should say and that's all alleged not confirmed by law enforcement I just know that as the preliminary hearing is creeping closer, we're going to get more and more information. And I think it's going to get a little wild. I think it's going to get a little wild. It kind of already is. We've gotten so much more in the last week and a half, two weeks than we've gotten in the last three months. So I think as preliminary is coming up, we're going to be getting a lot more information. A lot of it, I have a feeling is going to be unconfirmed, but these court documents are giving us a lot of information. So I will keep you guys updated. I'm going to end the podcast here because you guys know I don't like to do too long. I like to keep it nice, short, and sweet and to the point. So a new podcast episode will be out next week. We are back. We are weekly. We are thriving. I'm so, so, so grateful for everybody who has been patient with me through this kind of awkward time, transitional time in my life. I appreciate you all so, so much. I appreciate all the support. Tell your friends, tell your cousin, tell your aunt about my podcast, please. You know, I'm just a girl out here trying to make it. Um, I love you guys so much. I'll see you in the next one. Bye